This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, I'm Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast and author of the book coming out this September, A Spacious Life. The Finding Holy podcast might be for you if you think you might love to live in an idea bubble, but also deal with things like making dinner and doing the laundry. Welcome to the Finding Holy podcast, where you'll find the intellectual along with the practical. Today on the podcast, we are talking with Mike Cosper. He is the director of podcasts at Christianity Today and responsible for the new release podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. If you don't know about Mars Hill Church, it was pastored by Mark Driscoll and part of the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. It grew tremendously, and yet just a few years ago in 2014, it dissolved spectacularly. The very first episode chronicles who killed Mars Hill. But I wanted to talk about not just how it all happened with Mike, but we talk in this conversation not only about the podcast, but things like power, church hurt, and how we can actually maintain a sense of hopefulness for the institution of the Christian church. Listen in. This is more than a podcast about a podcast about Mars Hill. It's about all of us. Here's my conversation with Mike. All right. I am really excited to welcome a friend and writer and co-conspirator in all things culture and faith, Mike Cosper. He is the director of podcasts for Christianity Today. And today we're going to chat about their newest release called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. So thanks for being here, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Totally. So one thing I noticed about the rise and fall of Mars Hill is the very first episode, right, is called Who Killed Mars Hill? And I and and then I was like, I wonder if they're tapping into this sort of like true crime podcast. Was that like part of what you guys were going for? I mean, like the whole language of killing, you know, too. I was just like, huh, they're like tapping into serial listeners here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I have a really good friend who's a, uh, like, he's a true crime podcast producer. He, um, you know, he produces a show that they've, they've hit number one, like on, on all iTunes charts, they've been number one a few times. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, he's been a friend that I've, uh, taking a lot of advice from for this thing. And he made, he made the comment the other day, he was like, you know, we're, we're true crime. And, you know, that's the bottom dweller of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, but I, I think what, for sure, we're borrowing a little bit from the aesthetic of all that, because there is this element of, you know, sort of like what happened, like what really happened? Because uh, you, you, you have all these sort of competing stories and there are, um, you know, you have, you have Mark's story for sure. You have, there's sort of this blogger world that's had mm -hmm. like a, a story. And, um, and then a lot of the people who were inside and sitting on the front row of this stuff have for the most part been pretty quiet. So mm -hmm. 
that's, yeah, so we're definitely tapping into that on purpose. Right. I love it. I think it's brilliant. So as we talk about some of these issues, you know, church to me too, so many things about narcissism or abuse in the church, what's your hope for, you know, as you're dealing with so many big topics, the rise and fall of, you know, an evangelical mega church, I suppose we could call it. What's your hope? Because I feel like you did a great job in that first episode of helping us as the listener be hopeful, be interested, and to not be simply like, this is just like a smear campaign or a takedown campaign. So what's your hope in these conversations? I, I really think part of what drives this, you know, we, we will say this throughout, you'll hear this throughout the series, like, mm-hmm. why does this keep happening? Um, and I really, I really have come to think that what drives this is not just the fact that certain kinds of personalities are drawn to the pulpit, drawn to mm-hmm. leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a factor. I think a lot of the narcissism literature and stuff gets at that stuff really clearly. Um, and just that the, you know, people love a platform, like regardless of what the industry is, if they can make a platform out of it, they will. Mm-hmm. But what I think has happened, I, I think there's a, um, there's a there's a spiritual dynamic to it that's particularly pernicious, which is, you know, we as we as sort of modern people um, have have some ambiguity about what does it mean to connect with God and how do we know we're connected with God and how do we know like how do we know we're on the right team even yeah. and the power of these charismatic leaders and the nature of the way. Uh, sort of vision and inspiration and all that stuff, sort of the way we understand all of that um, functions in such a way that when, when someone stands up and goes, God gave me a clear vision for this church and for the mission of this church and how we're going to change the world and how we're going to change the city, you know, that taps into something for us. Mm-hmm. It's really concrete. And, um, you know, and, and it helps to answer, helps to answer a lot of questions we're asking on a really deep level. So I think that's why it keeps happening and why it's so pervasive in in the culture. And I, I hope that as we tell this story, we can kind of see that from some different angles and, mm-hmm. um, and then see the way that in a, in kind of a cascading way, it, it leads to a number of other decisions that are structural to, to churches that, uh, that perpetuate it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And that we can then hopefully do something about thinking right. about systems and organizations and institutions instead of just platform and the charisma of a particular leader. Right. And our own, like it it should cause us to examine our own spirituality. Mm -hmm. Like why are we putting ourselves in a place where we're susceptible to it? You know, if we, if we really believe the gospel, if we Mm -hmm. really believe in this idea of the sending of the Holy spirit, um, why are we constantly looking for new mediators? Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's first Samuel where we want a King. Right. When we get a chance to, to, to appoint one, we do. No, I think that's great. I love that you're you're helping us as the listener in your, at least in your first episode, right? To begin to ask those questions of ourselves and to not simply point the finger of this phenomenon was just one person's fault or even just a leadership, you know, surrounding Mark Driscoll. Yeah, I think I think that's the key thing because there's so long as there's an appetite on the part of the, the North American church to attach ourselves to um this kind of charisma, this kind mm-hmm. of, you know, and, and, and folks who are claiming a, a kind of authority that, you know, we were desperate to attach in, uh, to tap into so long as we're wired that way. And mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to keep doing this over and over again. Yeah. 
You know, I see a lot on social media. I think there's been a renewed interest, right, in church hurt. I'd love for you maybe to talk a little bit about how your own story intersects with some of these stories that you're sharing about on the podcast, and then maybe help us to think about how do we not weaponize maybe some of that pain or perform it online. I feel like I see a lot of communities where people are coming around this idea of church hurt, and I love that. And I'm also a little bit worried about what that can turn into that we just like leave the church and just kind of sit in our pain. So tell us a little bit maybe about your own intersection, which you bring up halfway through the first episode. And then, yeah, help us think through that dynamic. Yeah. So, you know, I was a pastor for 15 years. Um, You know, my wife and I, we were, we were both 20 years old when, we helped plant this church here in Louisville and we, we was called Sojourn and we were on staff um, for there for a long time. And, mm-hmm. you know, our, our story in many ways, and I say a lot of this in the podcast. So if you've heard it, I'm sorry, but <laughs> in many ways, like the story does parallel the Mars Hill story. We, we had this kind of expansive growth and this reputation for creativity and innovation and, and all that. And, you know, so by 2010, we're, I, th- I think around that time, we had maybe three campuses, maybe four. Mm-hmm. It, it just was a marked moment in the life of the church where it was like, okay, things are starting to get crazy. Like we're just, the hours are crazy and the exhaustion's crazy. And then, you know, in the four, four to five years that followed, um, there was just a ton of turnover. Um, I think we went through, you know, three or four executive pastors in that period of time. And, um, and it was just, it was just unhealthy. And part of the thing that you experience when you're, when you're inside of a toxic leadership culture, um, is you always kind of, you live in this way where you always kind of feel like I'm one good conversation away from things getting healthy. You know, mm-hmm. if that wasn't there, if that perception wasn't there, that like, you, you sort of live with this thing that's like, man, everything's great because the church is growing and people are getting saved and you're seeing all this transformation. And it's like, man, this is incredible. If we could just fix this one thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, it would it would get so much better. And you know, you um, eventually, for for most people, eventually that um, that effectiveness you know wears off. Like eventually, you come to a point where it's like, okay, it's it's just not going away, mm-hmm. or the the pain that it inflicts um, overshadows the 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 results in such a way that you can't justify it. So you know, by the time we left, we were, you know, my, my family, like we were pretty battered. We were pretty scarred. Um, and, and that was true for a lot of people in our church. And then Mm -hmm. year and a half after we left the, you know, the lead pastor of our church, uh, was first put on leave and then, and then resigned. And, you know, particularly after that, there was this sort of pause in ministry and there was, there was this pause in the sort of chaos of forward Mm -hmm. momentum. And for us, our church survived, and I'm super grateful for that. Um, but relationally, I mean, the the breakdown was just was just awful. Um, the pain that it caused, and you know, to the point where I, you know, I would say, what, where where are we now? We're we're four years later, and people in our church are are still dealing with it, like all yeah. the time. It's still a constant topic of conversation, and it's because of the nature of that spiritual authority piece. Mm. That you, You've attached your understanding of your your soul and your growth, your understanding of who God is. Um, there is this reality of mediation that happens mm-hmm. through, through your church community, and so when that severs, it just it just cuts at a at a different level. To what you were saying, though, like I 
I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's hard. Like there's something about our social media culture where there's, there's a permission given now to, for people to actually talk about this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I, you know, it's, it's really good and it's really important. And at the same time, I think, you know, we have to find ways to start constructing again. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're not constructing and if we're not moving forward, then in a sense, like the, then the, the devil's won, right? Like right. we've given him, we've given him a victory by saying, okay, like you, you, you gave us this poison pill in, you know, what happened in this church and mm-hmm. we, we swallowed it all the way. And, <laughs> and now we're, we're walking away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think the, again, the question for us, we have to ask is like, we have to keep coming back to, okay, do I believe the gospel? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and saying yes to that doesn't mean my pain isn't real and mm-hmm. my pain isn't authentic, but it does mean if that's my presupposition, then I want to drive into that and find like, what, what does health look like on the other side of that? Mm. All of social media is performative, right? Yeah, and, right. And, um, and so I, I think that's really, that's really hard to, to discern. And, um, you know, some people just, they don't have avenues to be heard other ways. And so it's that, that becomes a platform in and of itself. And, um, you know, I, I'm just real hesitant to critique it because I understand the place it comes from. For sure. But I think your point about, you know, even if we are kind of untangling pain or finding people to kind of empathize with us in our pain, I think what your point about construction is really important. How have you found a way to construct or to move through some of your own pain inflicted by the church or even, you know, our own fallibility or, you know, swallowing of the poisoned pill? Right. Um, therapy. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. for sure. Get a uh, professional. <laughs> get a professional. Um, no, I mean I I say that I'm I'm no I don't say that joking at all. I mean that's, no, that's yeah. a huge piece of it for me. But I would say just as important has been community. Like mm-hmm. the friendships we've had uh in the last few years that have meant the most to us have been people who, you know, essentially walked through it with us and experienced the same things. And you know, there came this, it was like when, when things went down in 2017 and, and relationships really started to break down for us. Um, I would say there was easily a year, year and a half of feeling like you were in a desert. Mm-hmm. Going, am I crazy? Like, am I the only one that's right. feeling this and seeing this? And it was when we started to kind of find a sense of community around that experience and, and just gave ourselves permission to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that in talking about it, things, we, we started to experience some healing. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the fact, like, I think it's indicative of one of the things that makes this stuff so pernicious is, uh, is how hard to talk about it. It is at first, right? Uh, because part of what you, you know, part of what you absorb is you believe in the the mission and the results so deeply that you become protective of the toxicity mm-hmm. because it's like, if I don't, if I don't wall this off from the world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. then it's, uh, then it hurts the mission. Right. 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 Um, I mean, a, a phrase that was literally thrown around in our leadership staff was loose lips sink ships, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so people who, you know, if they if they talked out a turn about what was going on internally, it was like, no, 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 we deal with problems inside, which right. became a culture of, you know, harboring and protecting, mm-hmm. you know, problematic stuff. Mm-hmm. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. What is your hope, you know, as you consider your own situation, as you have studied and produced and interviewed so many people around the rise and fall of Mars Hill? What's your hope for the church and bringing these sorts of things to light? How might we as people, as individuals, churches, groups, move through maybe some of this pain and hopefully prevent it or, you know, we're all human, but, you know, (laughs) a little bit less likely, hopefully, to be creating toxic systems. Yeah, I I think we do need, I think we do need to move towards a posture of like, like a healthy skepticism Mm -hmm. when someone shows up and says, I have a word from the Lord, right? Right. Um, Because, you know, look, we're, we're Protestants, right? Like if, when somebody says, I have a word from the Lord, it's like, I do too. Like <laughs> the Bible, like right. you have the word of the Lord, right? right. Um, thanks be to God. But I, I, I just think there's, there's such a, there's such a marriage, you know, Max Weber has this concept of, of charismatic authority. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that, you know, somebody, somebody essentially articulates um, and it, and it's in contrast to like legal authority, uh, institutional authority mm-hmm. and charismatic authority. Gotcha. So legal authority is like the law. Right. Institutional authority is like this person's your boss or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or in inside church structures, institutional authority is this is your priest and your loyal to the your loyalties to the institution, and this guy just happens to be the guy in charge. Right. Charismatic authority is somebody going, I have I have authority from God. Like I have a I have a word from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the way that authority get, the way that authority gets really established and, and enforced is results. So if somebody says like, "I have a word from the Lord," and boom, their church grows to ten thousand people, it's like, "Oh, okay." It's like clearly, like that that testifies to it. Or if they're like, um, you know, like doing literally charismatic stuff, healings and all, you know, the signs yeah. and wonders, whatever. Um, and you know what what Weber talks about is that that works until it doesn't, and then when it doesn't, the backlash is is really intense. Mm-hmm. And so I I think I would love to see the church move to a place where we had some respect for like a healthy institutionalism. Me too. Um, you know, denominations are not a bad word, um, right. <laughs> particularly, if, particularly if we could drive towards health in our denominations. Right. And, and that's a problem right now, too. I mean, the SBC is dealing with this lack of transparency and all this. That's a huge problem. Um, but it's not a fix-all. But 
the whole concept of institutions in the past was you had a traditioning process, mm-hmm. you had an ordination process, and you had accountability where mm-hmm. when things when things do go the wrong way, right. you can you can intervene. There's a recourse. There's a recourse. And so again, I'm not saying every every church needs to, you know, I'm not anti non-denominationalism, but what does traditioning look like? And what does, you know, what does loyalty to an institution look like rather than loyalty mm-hmm. to a, a person, mm-hmm. which I think you could say in the, in the case of the church, the loyalty is like to the community. What does mm-hmm. the health, what's, what does the health of the community look like? If we believe, if we, if we value that more than we value the, the platform of a single person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something in that direction is going to get us into a healthier place. And last thing, I, I know I'm rambling here. That's a culture-wide issue. Yeah, for sure. The lack of, you know, Yuval Levine has this great stuff where he talks yes. about how we don't like institutions and mm-hmm. we distrust them. And then the people who get involved with them attach themselves to an institution to leverage it as a platform to get famous. Not They're right. not shaped by the institution anymore. Right, right. Yes. And that's a huge problem. I know, I know. I think it's really great as you're talking about this idea of construction, as you're talking about these kind of larger paradigms or communities that we belong to, um, such as institutions. I mean, when everything is so individualistic, you know, everything's performative online, church communities can just be another kind of consumer experience. What might you say to a podcast listener? You know, they listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. They see the devastation. Maybe they've experienced some of that devastation in their own church community. And yet they want to be hopeful, like you're talking about. They want to be moving towards building things and wider webs and networks where we're actually accountable to each other. What might be like one small step that the average listener could take besides obviously, you know, binge listening to your podcast? (laughs) To begin to like form us in our practical everyday lives towards that hopefulness that you're talking about. Mm, that's a great question. Um, I, I think that's one of the challenges. I, I don't know that yeah. I have an answer at this point is, is like, where, where are the first steps? Um, except to say, I think a big part of where the church is at right now um, is this thing, this, this reality that like sunlight is the best disinfectant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you look at a, a journalist like what Robert Downen is doing in the Houston Chronicle, mm-hmm. uh, reporting on these, you know, toxic systems inside the SBC. And mm-hmm. um, you look at the work of Rachel Den Hollander and what mm-hmm. she's, um, and you could go on and on. And and I think hopefully this podcast is a part of this as well. It's like we need to tell the stories of what's happening yeah. in the underbelly. And if we really believe, like Luther said, that like the whole of Christian life is repentance, mm-hmm. let's just start there, right? Yeah. Um, let's acknowledge what's wrong, you know, and let's get over this posture that I think has really infected the church since, particularly since the 80s, which is that if we acknowledge any fault, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're giving ground to, quote unquote, the enemy, which yeah. is a culture war posture. That's not about the kingdom of God. Right. That's about power. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the chickens are coming home to roost on the, the mm-hmm. chicken, We lost that battle 25 years ago. So let's For just sure. Right. 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 Um, but I think the posturing is, is, mm-hmm. um, is built around that, that system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you find that some of this kind of culture war language or attitude or posture tends to be generational? Um, 
I don't know. I mean, that's a great question too. Um, it's funny. Uh, I know he's an outlier, but I, uh, I went to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention last week. Um, mm -hmm. I invited to speak um, by Dan Darling, who's one of their VPs and a, a great guy, good friend. Mm -hmm. But that's a very diverse coalition, mm -hmm. to put it mildly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I literally get there and I got got off the escalator, and Charlie Kirk is broadcasting from the lobby, right? Uh -huh. So he's, I mean, he's not even my generation. He's the generation behind me. I mean, he's a yeah. millennial. So, I mean, he's very much, I mean, he's, he sounds a lot like Jerry Falwell did right. uh, uh, 40 years ago. Um, so I think, I think that spirit is always in there. Yeah. Um, it's so fascinating because I just finished, you know, episode two, which will be out by the time this podcast comes out. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just finished working on it. And I listened to this talk that uh, it, central to the episode is this lecture that Mark gave in 1997. Um, and he's critiquing the boomers. Mm -hmm. And one of his big, you know, one of his big critiques is like, why are we still fighting these culture wars? You know, he, he makes fun of Jerry Falwell in the argument. Mm -hmm. And he says the most, I mean, it's just so fascinating. And he articulates it beautifully because he's, I mean, he, it's Driscoll, he's such a good communicator. He says, you know, the, the biggest problem for the church, the biggest weakness for the church is that we don't have artists we don't have philosophers. We don't have mystics. We've run all these people out of our church because mm -hmm. we're all about rationalism. We're all about this combativeness and that stuff, you know, that, that rational thing, that culture war thing, it, it, it didn't work. It doesn't work. If we want to reach the next generation, if we want to have better, more beautiful churches, we, we've got to find ways to, to make room for, for mm -hmm. those you know, obviously he moved pretty far away from that. <laughs> right. Years went on. It's a beautiful vision. Like yeah. it really is. I mean, yeah. you listen to this thing; it's it's incredible. You understand why he became who he became. He's yeah. so compelling the way he lays this out. But I think I do think there's something, um, and and maybe it's something to youth too. I I don't know, but mm -hmm. I, I think there is something about there's something cyclical in that. And yeah, and and I would say too. I think um, the the poison for the church is power. You know, once yeah, we start yeah. getting interested in power, whether that's power over a congregation or, or power uh, and influence in the culture, that almost always corrupts. Mm -hmm. How do we engage with the question of power or stewardship or, you know, if you think of kind of Andy Crouch's mm -hmm. strong and weak as a new paradigm for what power might look like, mm -hmm. right? We have authority. We have we have been given dominion, um, cultural mandate. Like, so, but so how do we wrestle with power without it? Absolute power absolutely corrupts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, you can just solve all the problems here, right? right you know, right. yeah. <laughs> Get this right. Whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's this really interesting thing you see on, and this is sort of outside the church, but I think it, I think it goes in, I think it works inside the church too. Like you see cultural critics of, of a certain stripe, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly on like the far right conservative stripe. And they're simultaneously arguing that the culture has gone and it's totally corrupted and, and all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and they're arguing we have to fight to save it. Right. Like right. The, we're, we're overwhelmed. We're this, we're this, whatever. Um, but we're also the silent majority and we, we would just stand together and fight. Um, I literally heard someone at the, the, this NRB thing last week, who in, in one moment in a conversation was saying, uh, we're three months away from becoming a Venezuelan-style di dictatorship. And then 
They were also saying with absolute certainty that Donald Trump will be reinstated as president. <laughs> right. You're like, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> right. those, those two things can't happen. Right. Simultaneously. Um, at the same time. But, um, but I, I think that kind of schizophrenia is kind of what we, mm. what we experience inside of like uh, American conservatism, mm -hmm. Christian conservatism, is that we, we feel like we're this oppressed minority, mm -hmm. but we also feel like we're the silent majority and we just need to push harder and fight harder. Mm -hmm. And it's like, listen, if you're going to tell a, martyr, a martyrdom narrative about yourself, like then, then be okay with dying because the church has been okay with dying, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, let's tell the truth. Let's love our neighbors. And if they kill us, they kill us. That's yeah. the church. That's the identity of the church. Yep. And a suffering church is historically always a growing church, yeah. um, is always a, a kingdom expanding church. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I think that reality that we, we love martyrdom, but we don't want to actually suffer under martyrdom is uh, a really dominant theme. Mm -hmm. and, that makes and, a lot of sense, right, too, of even talking about the Mars Hill phenomenon or toxic leadership systems is that when things come to light, if we don't, if we're not willing to repent and mm -hmm. suffer for the right things, then we just prop up power and our own sinfulness, really. I remember having a conversation with a pastor um, uh, quite a few years ago. I, I won't name drop him or whatever. He's a pastor of a pretty big church and he's a guy of influence and just like a big charismatic personality, brilliant mind. And he was talking about how important true elder governance was to him. And he said, when we have our elder meetings, I try to say as little as possible because I know that because I have the pulpit because I have the reputation I have or whatever, the littlest things that I say are going to carry way more weight than what anyone else in that room has to say. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just, I, I try to speak as little as possible and um, try to submit as much as possible. Because if I, if, if I put my hand, you know, out there at all to, to try to sort of touch and guide, it has more influence than it should because of my position. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a posture where it's like, okay, I'm willing, I'm willing to, I'm going to give up that, you know, that right that I have or that power that I have, um, because I entrust it to the, the body of Christ. Mm, that's awesome. And really hard <laughs> to do. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, it goes against our every impulse for right. sure. Right. Thank you. I appreciate Mike the great production quality too of the the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and just uh, what's beautiful I think about it is you're holding truth and grace together in the whole process. You know, willing to ask hard questions and talk about hard things, but not in a very monolithic or proud sort of way. Like I've got this all figured out. Um, so appreciate just the hopefulness that runs through that very first episode, and I'm excited to see what follows. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike Cosper. You can find The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill wherever you listen to podcasts. It's trending super high in the Apple charts, so make sure to have a listen. It's sure to be helpful, thoughtful, and help us have some crucial conversation about how we move forward as a church and what does accountability and power look like. I'm excited to see where it goes. As many of us are emerging from the global coronavirus pandemic, 
it's important for us to maybe take stock of our community. That was one thing that Mike encouraged us to think about. How do our communities process pain? Are the communities that you're a part of, whether that's your church, your neighborhood, or something else, are they a place for safety? Are they a place where pain is listened to? Are they repenting communities? I think these are helpful questions that I would encourage you to take with you throughout your week as your one small step. Friends, it's been an honor to have these conversations with you. I wanted to let you know, before we start season five in August, we have two very special laundry episodes, and you'll even get to hear Mike Casper's laundry routine coming up because we chatted with him about some of his writing work a few seasons back, and you'll want to hear his laundry routine. So listen in, subscribe, share an episode with a friend, and make sure to tune in for finding out how big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know, a pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know.